Hey home growers, I'm Parker Curtis from Homegrown Cannabis Co. And I have a question. Do you want a 10% discount on our amazing seeds? Sure you do. Head over to homegrowncannabisco.com, fill your basket and use this exclusive code in the checkout, GARDEN10. You'll get 10% off anything you buy and normal terms and conditions apply. See you in the garden. What is up, you amazing listeners and those tuning in from Homegrown Cannabis Co.'s YouTube channel? I am Chronic from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, and I am back with an all-new episode that's very special. I'm bringing you guys an all-new interview and update with the one and only Parker Curtis. That's right. Be sure to pack a nice fat bowl or get that glob of dab ready as we blaze into some fiery information on updates that Parker has been up to. Be sure to follow along on whichever platform you're listening to so you never miss out and show Homegrown Cannabis Co. some major love for making this show possible by checking out their top-notch seeds at www.homegrowncannabisco.com. All right, Parker, thanks for tuning in and joining us today for this interview. I really appreciate it. What have you been up to lately? I know the greenhouse you pretty much took down and you've been setting it up for kind of a new grow, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, the... The autoflowers that we had going, um, they're they're small because it was through the winter, but I took down some of them. I got one in the background here, but uh, getting ready to set up for the main harvest or uh, the main uh, the main plant set for this summer. So we got some 45 gallon pots. I'm going to kind of pare down the numbers. We're going to do 16 plants. Uh, we're going to do one with standard nutrients and one with organic on each side of the row. So we'll have uh, Two uh, two plants of each strain. Yeah, so that'll be. Nice. Oh, that's gonna be really exciting. Are you excited for the uh, the no-till aspect and actually like getting to uh, not have your hands, uh, you know, watering so much? I know the bigger pots are gonna help keep moisture in. Yeah, so I was gonna do the raised beds and and do the permaculture type thing, but looking at the setup for it, I decided to stick uh, stick with the smart pots and just do bigger pots. So. Uh, even still, I'm not, I'm not going to have to water quite as much, so uh, it'll still mm. give me some breathing room to take care of these. I'll probably be out there watering uh, more often than I'd like to, but I just want to get it rolling, <laughs> get them in the ground. So we got some little seedlings vegging right now. Oh, that's awesome. What are some of the strains that you're uh, more excited for? And, and I'm sure all of these strains are homegrown cannabis code, right? Yeah, yeah. We got uh, Shishka Berry, Runts. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, I I got a whole list out there. Uh, yeah, the the runs, the shishka berry. <laughs> we have yumbolts. Um, I'm having trouble mm. bringing some of the other ones to mind. You're gonna we, really like the runs. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I kind of want to do some indoors as well, and that indoor room is almost ready to go as well. Yeah, I, I think the, the Yumbolt should probably be one of those more heftier yields, too, and a little more resilient. I know a lot of the growers that have grown that one as well um, said that it was very good for the pest and mold resistance, which is, um, you know, I, I see that you're setting up. We watched the video on Homegrown, um, watching you spray the outside of the trees and getting everything set up for this year as far as IPM. Is that something that you're pretty much really, like, handling as far as making sure it doesn't happen for you? I mean, you're kind of at the mercy of nature when you grow outdoors, which is a big change from growing indoors. So I'm doing as much as I can to make sure that we don't have quite as big of a problem, but there's, you're always gonna have something in the garden. So uh, some of the, like the contos that I have, it's, they use it on orchards and ornamentals and fruit trees and stuff, but mm -hmm. using it on cannabis itself, 
because you're consuming it and combusting it, it's a little more touchy. So I'm gonna kind of spray down the area around it to see if we can mitigate that problem. Oh, uh, that's definitely the sm smartest way to do. Like, you know, make sure that your gravel pad and everything ar is around it is nice. Um, I know that you said you were probably going to be adding some supplemental lighting along with doing um, all the adjustments for IPM to make uh, up for lost hours during the the fall. I think that you saw this past year. Yeah, well, down here in Southern California, we never really get uh, quite as much light as uh, some of the places in Northern California. So. When you put plants outside, they tend to just go straight into flowers. So I'm going to have some supplemental lighting to mm. kick on at the end of the day just to keep those plants in veg. I'm trying to get them, you know, I want some monsters out there. So we're only going to do 16 plants, but I'm hoping to get them uh, as, as large as possible. We had a couple last summer that were about seven and a half feet tall. So looking to get oh, even wow. bigger. And those were in 10 gallon pots. So we're going 45 gallon now. So we're going to see, it's going to take <laughs> a bit of uh, training and, and supporting and stuff, but they're, they're going to be some big ones. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot of training, but those are going to be labors of love for the absolute beast of yield they're going to bring. That sounds absolutely amazing. Now, um, something I know a lot of people don't really get to see is that you've been kind of working on a secretive, not really secretive, but an indoor project that you're setting up to get ready for an actual indoor run. So and I want to talk more about that. So what's uh, the excitement for you been the entire time? You just kind of finished up with some of the drywall. You were sending me pictures the other day and uh, what's that been like? How's that, uh, the feelings been seeing it all come together? Yeah, well, my dad was a contractor, so I grew up doing that kind of work. I did the drywall in my house, but it's been years since I've done that. So uh, it's, it's a little tough to get back into it. I had my neighbor help me hang up some of the uh, full drywall pieces on the ceiling. But other than that, I've been doing most of it myself. So uh, the one side that has the lights hung up, we have the floor cemented with a one foot concrete border so the whole pan is sealed so i could fill it up like a swimming pool we're not going to get any water damage and then the all the sides it's green board so it's a mold resistant drywall so that was all coated and painted and ready to go the other side that's is, awesome yeah I'm, I'm stoked on it so the one side i have the four kind led lights that's going to be my main flower room the other side, I'm gonna set the okay. room up the same, but I'm only gonna run two lights. So I'm gonna have that side mm. as a veg room on the, it's like a pier and beam, or it's a, <clears throat> the shed's built on these beams and stuff. So my whole yard has a rake to it. So off of the front side of the shed, I'm gonna install like a drain manifold and I'm gonna use a oh. drain to waste system. So all the water is gonna drain off of there after we feed the plants and I'm going to run an irrigation line down to the Hugel Hill that I'm gonna build. So it, you know, with hydroponic systems, you get to recirculate the nutrient solution and make the most of it. The drain to waste can, um, there's a lot of upside yes, to it. So you basically, yeah, you're, you're, you're not having to do really too much adjustments with that drain to waste, except for basically monitoring pH and PPM, right? It's, yeah, it's basically the initial setup of your, your nutrient solution, making sure that all the levels are right, and then just feeding till you're done, versus uh, ebb and flows or recirculating systems, you're constantly adjusting. Every time the plants feed and shed off uh, other things, it changes the pH and the pH level, or the, the PPM level. So um, 
it's going to be a little easier in that aspect. The only thing is uh, it's drained to waste, so you don't get to really uh, reutilize that, that nutrient solution. So what I'm going to be doing is installing that irrigation line. So instead of it just going down down the drain and never seeing it again, it's actually going to pump to this permaculture garden that I'm going to be uh, working on. So it's going to... Uh, feed that from the interior and hopefully get some I don't have to do uh, pot plants in that but we can do veggies and flowers and other stuff but okay. I'll, I'll be able to uh, feed other things in the yard with that nutrient solution um, well, that's awesome that sounds really nice it sounds like you're making most of uh, all the potential plant waste or anything that you're using as far as nutrients and everything which um, what is your ideal or your plans for feeding or schedules for these plants um, that you have with these indoor grow are you going to go with an organic feed or are you going to do all natural what's kind of uh, your your mindset so I'm definitely going to stick with the organic outside the organic solutions don't typically dissolve quite as well in hydroponics so there there are nutrients uh, out there that are organic and do work well with hydroponics but most of the things that I'm looking at it seems like it's more of a hassle especially I'm going to use these little uh, drip feeders and stuff so if you don't have your nutrients uh, fully suspending in the water you're going to tend to get clogged nozzles and problems so I'm going to stick yeah. with standard nutrients we're going to try to keep that EC and PPMs as high as we can, juice them, and make the most mm. out of these little spaces. That's going to be awesome. And now, what's been kind of uh, the most headache part of putting all this together? I know it sounds like you have uh, the plan as far as your feeding schedule goes, as far as what you didn't like um, and what you liked about the nutrients from the past experiences. You're kind of working out all the, the kinks in the garden as far as uh, which light setups you want to use. And for the greenhouse, you know, you're adding some supplemental lighting and you've uh, changed the grow pot to add some more IPM around the area. So what's been the biggest headache for you uh, setting up this grow room was it concreting the floor was it drywalling is it just planning everything or maybe it might be even be the electrical stuff yeah um i i had a good friend do all the electrical so um i didn't have to deal with that part of you know it's it's an evolving process so i have a plan in mind going in and then things are changing and, and you have to kind of roll with the punches and adjust accordingly so i had i, I wanted to do raised beds there uh, talking with some buddies that also have greenhouses and stuff, there's a lot of upside and there's a lot of downside. So it's kind of figuring things out for your specific situation, what you're looking for, what you can give, how much time you can give to the garden and, and what's going to work best. So that's why I went with the 45 gallon smart pots, try to cut down my watering labor. Uh, and, you know, I think I had 80 plants or something like that so just like having a bunch of kids you can't even hardly remember all their names or make sure they're all getting fed the right way so less plants will allow me to pay more attention to each individual cultivar and the indoor absolutely yeah the indoor it's it it's a process and i'm repeating that same process on both sides of this of the shed so it's <laughs> 10 foot by 20 there's a wall in the middle each side's about 10 by 10 so you okay. know between uh, yeah, we did concrete floor, skim coated it, polyurethane coating. I got the mold resistant drywall, the mold resistant uh, paint and primer, and we got the lights hung. So next thing now is irrigation and drainage and ventilation. Yeah. So 
with these these lights are killer they they got the they got two dimmers so one is for the bright white light and the other is for the uh, ir and deep red mm-hmm. so yeah that's going to give me a lot of and those options. are the kind lights right these are the kind x750s is that what they're called yeah the x750s and I know they make a bigger light, and I'm glad that I went with the 750s because I couldn't fit much more in there. The, the whole ceiling's yeah. covered with these big lights, so um, I'm and the gonna, spread's wonderful. It looks oh. it looks like it's uh, covering great. Yeah, the they're butted up right next to each other, um, end to end, and then there's maybe like um, uh, I don't know, like a less than a foot gap in the center row. So I'm gonna build these two rolling trays. We're gonna get four by eight hydro tables so i'm going to have kind of uh, multi-directional casters on it so i'll have about a foot and a half play on each side of the table so i can uh, get around there and uh, maintenance all the plants <laughs> one of the things that i'm going to do unfortunately i i uh, decided on doing this after i finished the wall but i'm going to install a door from my veg ah. side of it through to the flower room and instead of doing that always happens after you finish the the work right (laughs) of course so it shouldn't be a big deal i'm just going to have to cut through all that painted finished drywall on the one side (laughs) and pull out the insulation i was going to do a standard all that hard work oh yeah so uh the more i think about it you know having a flower room especially for these guys to come film i'm going to need some type of light trap so if I have the bedroom set up as kind of an intermediary space where I can get through without mm-hmm. disturbing a light cycle, that'll be key. So I'm gonna do, a, instead of a standard door, I'm gonna do a, like a rolling barn door, kind of like, a, mm-hmm. uh, like an external pocket door. So it's just gonna slide right ac- across the wall and I'll be able to get yeah. in there and access that. That'll be nice. Are you going to make um, those are the ones that kind of have like the natural seals to them where it's like it like cuts the light off. Right. It's like prevents light leaks and everything. It's going to need to. So I'm, I'm going to have to figure out which door I'm going to get. But it's it's going to need to be um, it's going to need to seal. It's going to need to be light and airproof. Yeah, no, it looks it looks great so far. And uh, for those listening, trying to imagine this room, he's basically done a very nice job. Uh, creating, you didn't go to the hard corner seams on the floor, right? You went with the rounded floor on the edges, correct? So I I use hardy backer, which is used in kitchens and bathrooms. It's like a concrete board and it's water resistant. Mm-hmm. So I laid all that down. And when I had my grow room in my, my apartment here, I'd, you inevitably have floods. And I had water mm-hmm. pull up into the drywall. So I didn't want to have to deal with that. You can get mold and things. So... I put a 12 inch border of this concrete board along the floor. So if water gets up there, it's not going to cause any lasting damage. So what I did after that was I used um, like a mortar uh, skim coat that you would use to set Mm. tile. I laid some of that down on the floor and uh, did kind of a a beveled edge on the bottom. So we don't have any low spots that's going to hold moisture. Yeah, and that's what I liked about it. It's kind of what I noticed was just you really made everything so that water wasn't going to pull in a specific area or you didn't really have a dark area. The whole uh, room is very vibrantly uh, lit up and uh, it's very reflective. So for those wondering how he's kind of going about this, um, if you're building your own grow rooms and your own flower setups and you have about 10 by 20 foot worth of space um, or even, uh, you know, 20 by 20 foot worth of space, you really can make some cool rooms 
rooms and cool spaces out of. It just takes time and it takes a lot of effort and energy and always plan it and go in sections because instead of doing everything in one day, he's been breaking up this build over the last, I don't know, what, two, three months? Yeah, something like that. And it's, you know, you could you could certainly do something like this with a lot smaller space, but it's nice having... Uh, you know, these aren't huge grow rooms by any means, but it, it does give you some versatility, especially when you're looking at uh, having a separating wall and breaking it up for flower and veg. It gives you a lot of options that it should keep us rolling all year round. It's going to be very nice. So are you going to be doing a lot more of the uh, consistent mothering or are you going to cycle through your vegetative uh, plants a lot more often? Or what's the what's your... I guess, plans for creating a perpetual cycle for yourself? Are you going to be popping seeds every so often or is it going to be a lot of cloning? Um, well, you know, because with Homegrown, there's so many great seeds. So I'm, I'm really excited to try some of those and, and showcase a lot of those. There are some genetics that I have even uh, from Homegrown or years past that I've collected that if I do pop them, I want to make sure that I save the genetics. So having a space that I can keep mothers potentially is is going to be essential but uh most of what we're doing we're going to be doing uh, kind of strain showcasing testing and things like that so we're going to be popping a lot of seeds running them through so we can show some of our customers and viewers what these strains can do and uh you know the ups and downsides of them and what will work for them but what i have wanted to do if i am going to have my veg side is if I have seedlings and mothers going there, I'd like to throw in some autoflowers too. Um, especially, Ooh, that'd um, be cool. I'm planning on running some of those autoflowers in the hydro buckets. They're self-contained. Yes. Uh, on, on the flower side, I'm going to be doing the big tables, and they're all going to okay. be fed off of one system. So on, on the veg side, those hydro buckets along with the, the sprouts and the mothers will be great for doing autoflowers. They'll be self-contained. I can you know, switch their nutrient solution as needed. It'll be nice. Are you going to run 20 hours of life then for your veg garden? I think I'm going to have to. Are you going to gonna keep it at 18? Um, <clears throat> it depends. If I run it on non-peak hours, I think I'll go 20. But, mm -hmm. you know, those autos, they're they're thirsty for light. They'll, they'll take as much as you can throw at them. And, yeah. I mean, although I cut down in the greenhouse over the fall, they... It, we had some really cold days, and for Southern California, it was just above freezing. So I'm surprised oh, wow. that I pulled down bud. But um, all yeah. things considered, you uh, they're, they're extremely hardy, and giving them what they actually want, I'm, I'm, I mean, I see some of the autoflowers you pull down, and I'm like, I want to do that. Like, I, I have some out there. They have some nice, dense buds, like the, the banner and the Skittles and stuff. There's some pretty plants. Mm -hmm. They are. And, and when you treat them right and you do give them the right environment, like a lot of the times I'll play around with them. So I'll make like little mini ones. But like when you let them go big, they get big. And that's what that's the beauty of hydroponics, because you're going to have like a floating root basin, basically, that they won't really walk themselves until it's like a five gallon root mass. So you're probably going to see some very hulked out autoflowers in that tent. Yeah, well, I, I may even have to add more than two lights on the veg side then, but uh, it'll it'll be nice <laughs> having some options there. So, uh, you know, the you idea can even always add just like a strip of UVA or UVB just in the uh, the veg side just to help with the the flower. You know, um, the UVA and UVB can do wonders or even just adding like a, a more warmer tone LED could help uh, push those red or oranges for the autos. OK, yeah, because those. Um, 
when you see these kind LEDs on, <clears throat> I mean, normally the LEDs that I've had before have kind of a, um, you know, stippling with all the different color diodes in there. And uh, in the past, in, you know, the early generations, you would have uh, kind of different light housings for mm -hmm. different types, just like you would have T5s for vegings and, uh, and uh, HPSs for flowering. So having a light that gives you options that you can adjust down throughout the whole cycle is, is really nice because I don't have to buy new equipment, hang things. I can just go in there and flip a switch and uh, get the most out of those things. Oh, that's so true. I totally keep forgetting. So for those listening, wonder what he's talking about. He mentioned it earlier. The lights, the kind LEDs that he's using actually have individual dimmers for the IR and UV, which if you're not familiar with infrared or ultraviolet, infrared is on the more red to orange spectrum. It's like the furthest red, I believe. And uh, that is what helps light penetration through the actual plant leaves. So infrared actually uh, forces light spectrums of the red to uh, more yellow tones through uh, top to middle layer of the canopies to help the penetration actually go further to the lower nodes. Um, his lights actually have dimmers that you can turn on and off and, and turn them up um, to your own percentage. That's going to help immensely if he's going to grow autoflowers in a vegetative tent, which a lot of you guys who have mother tents can take advantage like Parker's doing, where if you already have lights going for 18 to 20 hours a day, toss some autoflowers and some pots in there. They're, you know, they're going to just do their own thing. They'll flower. And uh, if you have a light that has adjustable wavelengths, there's definitely benefits to getting some free bud out of your veg tent for sure. Yeah. You know, most times I'm vegging for about six weeks or so, and that's almost as, as much as you need to get through a full run on autos. So if, if you have mm -hmm. the space and you're going to be vegging plants out, it, it kind of makes it it doesn't make sense to not run autos in there you know take advantage of that lighting cycle and it's it's always <clears throat> tough to kind of figure out that perfect uh, veg time for your plants i know i usually run fems and kind of dialing it in and figuring out how big you want the plants how much time and and light you're going to spend on getting these plants to the size that you want you have to kind of play with the ratios and figure it out and in the meantime you could be pulling down bud with these autoflowers Yep, that's so true too because every photo period plant's so different. Like, I'll have some that very, very vigorously veg and they'll, you know, I can top them and they'll pop out tops and they'll just be very ready by, you know, week six, week seven for flower. But then I'll have some by week seven, week eight that aren't as maybe bushy or tall or um, have as many um, tops as I would like. So it is definitely interesting based on feeding variables, your environmental variables. And we're all learning, you know, none of us are really like the best growers on the world in the world so with every new strain we pick up it's kind of like a, a brand new uh, level to a video game almost you know you're really you're really kind of testing like oh what does this strain like to eat how much does this strain like to eat and with you you know you're above the average just like um, many growers who are teaching and education because you're not just dialing in one select strain you're gonna be playing with so many various strains so your variables are always altering so for those listening um, it is really really good 
when you get these rooms set up and you have your lights and um, even tossing in auto flowers like we're talking about, having a mother room where you're consistently pulling from, you know, a mother that you know how she eats, you know how the plant veges, you know how long to veg your plant for, you can get on a perpetual growth cycle insanely fast. And pretty much Parker's at the uh, start of day one with his perpetual cycle once these uh, rooms come together. So uh, it's gonna be fun watching all these various plants. Are there any in particular strains that you're like really, really hyped for that you haven't popped yet? Um, well, now that you mentioned that, some of the other ones that we popped have come to mind. We did, so the ones that are going out in the greenhouse, I haven't quite decided what I'm gonna do outdoors and indoors, but we did Mendo Perps, Purple Star Killer, and um, uh, a few more still, but they, um, I, it's it's hard to say, you know, it's like a kid in a candy store. You look at these strain lists and you're just like, oh my gosh, I've, <laughs> I've had experience with some of these, some I, I know nothing about, and it's just, um, they're kind of like dogs, you know, you have a kind of expected temperament with a particular dog nice. breed, so it's like getting a new dog breed that you don't have experience with they they act a little different they you know the the behaviors it's a learning curve so uh that's the fun of all this and life would be a lot easier if i was just doing one strain and i get to master <laughs> it and everything's dialed in i know everything to a t but um you know switching things up and especially having multiple strains in one area mm -hmm. makes things um interesting to say the least you know like you had mentioned yep. there's different growth rates some uh, some will get nutrient burn with what you're giving them and some aren't getting enough so it yeah you have to tailor it to uh you know finding strains that will work well with each other especially the varieties the spice of life so people uh, growers consumers they want variety they want to try new things and mm -hmm. and stepping into a new strain it's you know you're not always going to hit it out of the park so but yeah throwing things where you have things vegging and kind of seeing how they behave is the first step of that absolutely and I, I absolutely love the purple star killer and uh, anything purple is just I, yeah. I go for it all day long. It's just amazing. So those are those are going to be some fun ones to see. And it is so true because like I grow cer certain things and I'll feed them such a low dosage and half my plants will be like, yo, we need a lot more food and they're already yellow yeah. and fading. And then some of them will just straight up burn. So it is so interesting growing so many various plants and, you know, if in a per perfect world, I'd love to just grow one strain and focus on it. But at the same time, it gets boring. Um, and that is one big reason if you guys are listening or watching, wondering why would we grow so many strains if we were just talking about, oh, it's, you know, we could dial it in and get like super honed in results and pull so much weight every time. It's like, well, do you want to eat the same food every day? You know, you don't want to keep, you know, there's so much yeah. cannabis out there that has so many different terpenes and profiles that can affect you. And that's another thing I'm sure uh, you're going to break into is actually like terpene searching. Is there any specific terpenes you're really hoping that you uh, pronunciate out of uh, some of these strains heavily? Or, or is there any specific terpenes that are your favorite? Um, I mean, I, I'm partial to myrcene. I like the heavy sedating effects. I, I always go for OGs and I love growing purples for for the look of it i don't i don't usually prefer to smoke purples quite as much but there's there's almost no plant that's more fun to grow just the 
um, aesthetically, they're they're absolutely beautiful. But I tend mm-hmm. to go for OGs, which unfortunately are some of the hardest to grow. They're they're finicky yes. and just like a lot of things, they're um, I mean, they're some of the more potent buds that you're able to get out there. But uh, the the yield is uh, it, it's hard to find an OG that has the yield where you want it. But fortunately, mm-hmm. the buds that you do get off of that are extremely potent, and that's why I've liked that white. Uh, what was that fire yes. OG that we did? Uh, it yes. was this super frosty OG, and they were probably some of the biggest nugs in the greenhouse. They were huge. And uh, you gonna grow it again? I, I want to. <laughs> I like that one, <laughs> but uh, I kind of want to do it I've indoors. I've got some seeds. Yeah, you're gonna do it indoors. So like see, that's to. a that's another thing. Are you, how are you kind of deciding which strains you want to do indoors? Is it more of like, um, are you gonna choose less mold resistant or pest resistant strains for indoor? You gonna pick more shorter plants indoors? What's kind of like uh, your consensus here? Are you just this one's going indoors and you're going outdoors kind of thing? Well, um, initially I was gonna do, and again we talked about the part of the frustrating part is is this whole process is fluid and plans change so i was when i was running my room indoors here i i ended up paring it down to about four plants per light and i was running thousand watt lumatex so okay i was vegging for about six to seven weeks and doing four plants a light getting them to about five feet tall um oh wow so ver- versus doing something like keeping your plant numbers very high and the plants small and doing a sea of green, I tended to like bigger plants where I could maneuver around them a little. So getting into that, that uh, shed, it's still a small space. So I had been planning on doing four plants of light. Um, I was, I was going to utilize those hydro buckets on that side, trying to figure out uh, the appropriate way to hook them all together and feed them. So trying to find strains that'll work well together that have roughly the same growing heights, uh, roughly the same flower times is what I was looking for. So now what we're mm. gonna do, I'm, I'm going to use those ebb and flow tables, four by eight tables, two in the room. Ah. And I'm gonna, do, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna do nine plants in three gallon smart pots sitting on the table. They're gonna be top mm. fed with a uh, drip feed system and the table we're not going to utilize it for an ebb and flow we're just going to utilize it to collect the nutrients uh, the nutrient solution and uh, 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 funnel it into a drain to waste so, okay so you're basically going to take your system that's going into the the table and you're bringing the drain water back out to use for your vegetable garden or whatever else you're using your waste yeah. for yeah so on the wall that's going to divide my flower room and veg room i'm going to have the sliding door I'm going to have mm-hmm. my, um, I'm going to do vertical 75 gallon reservoirs and I'm going to run my lines Ooh. through the wall. So the nutrient solution is going to be out of the room. Uh, there's there's uh, not much room to spare in there. That's why I'm going to do that. And it's going to keep the nutrient solution a lot cooler. So we're going to run yeah. lines over there. We have four lights. We're going to do nine plants of light. And I'm going to try to keep, try to keep them in line with the same flower period. But um try as you may even with seeds of the same strain you're going to have variations and and they're not all going to like quite the same thing so we're going to see how far we can push it with our ppms keep everybody happy uh the only other thing i'm going to do is run co2 tanks and you know because those lights are so bright it's going to really they're going to really be hungry for nutrients so 
So are you going to start with all that in mind then? So you're probably going to transition them, maybe have the light 10, 20 percent. I'm guessing IR and UV turned down. Uh, is your goal or your game plan to slowly turn those up with every week? Or is it going to be like every three days you're going to be shifting light percentages and IR and stuff? Yeah, that's interesting because um, so my plan, I, I'm going to have the the frames for the hydro tables about as low as I can get them. And if okay. I if I need to drop the lights down, I have adjustable hangers. So uh, cool. I know that Kind has a chart on their website on on the hang height for what percentage. So the higher the percentage of the light, the the more distance you want to get uh, get the lights away from the plants. And then okay, um, they're not full eight foot ceilings in there. They're about seven and a half feet. So mm. keeping the plants as low as I can, and and it's it's going to be a learning curve on that too. seeing how, how tall I can get the plants without them uh, actually touching the lights. So, um, yeah, there's, are you going to veg to what about like three and a half to four feet or what's, what's, what's going to be your perfect l l height for your canopy to flip to flower? Are you looking at like the three foot marker to let them stretch double? Or are you going to go even lower, like two feet to in case they do the triple stretch? Uh, to err on the side of caution initially, I'm probably going to veg them a little less. So they're, they're going to okay. be packed in there. And with the frames that I'm going to be building, I'm going to try to build some external uh, scrog netting. So mm, we're going to okay. have um, nine plants under each light. So they're, they're basically going to be packed in on the whole table. And yeah. we're going to have... And are you going to do single colas or are you going to let them kind of do like three to four colas per plant? Um, I, I am going to top them. I'm going to lollipop them, but I'm they're not going to have quite as much room to bush out. So, uh, mm -hmm. but that's not a bad thing. It's just going to mean that uh, we're going to be utilizing the, uh, the all the light and and have a, having a yeah. full canopy as it is. So, uh, probably uh, my plan is to veg for about three to four weeks and then flip them. Okay. And see how that goes. So you'll probably get like maybe three foot plants with like three tops each nine. So a nice size green canopy around three foot marker that you're ready to just flip to flower basically. And you're going to have, you said three of those, three tables or four tables. Um, there's, there's going to be two four by eight tables and they're going to be kind of rolled to the center. Okay. Um, I can roll them off to the side if I need to come around mm. and access anything. But I think about okay. three foot is, is what I'm aiming for because, like I said, I have uh, a cap on height, so I can't just veg mm -hmm. them out. It, it, you know, if I'm going to do some extreme training, I could probably cut my plant yeah. numbers down. But when you look at that with how much time is going to take to veg, um, is it yeah. worth just adding in more plants versus spending an extra three or four weeks vegging? You know, if you yeah. if you cut your veg time down and added more plants, you can actually make the whole thing more efficient. So that's why the sea green method's popular. It's a little tougher mm -hmm. to do with seeds because uh, you have more variables. But you know, if you're yeah. if you're going right to flower as soon as you get roots, that four to six weeks that you're spending on veg uh, is going to roll over into your flower time. So you know, people that only get in uh, two or three harvests a year, if you're popping them quicker you can get in um, you can get in a lot more harvest than that a year 
Absolutely. So for those listening, basically what he's saying is uh, he's running a sea of green style. So for those who aren't familiar with sea of green versus a uh, screen of green, if he was only to have like one or two plants per table and they were massive bushy plants that he took and made like 30 tops per plant, that is a screen of green. You're taking massive plants and you're creating a canopy with just a few large plants or one large plant. He's doing multiple plants. So probably um, you said nine plants per table. So 18 plants that he's going to be creating a screen uh is that, is that right did i is we're, that the accurate we're, we're going to do nine plants per light so it's going to be 18 plants per table so that's going to so be 36 plants in total right right that's what we're shooting okay for. so he's creating a canopy of 36 plants that are roughly maybe three or so cola tops that are going to be forming and and if you're looking at it my guess is your game plan is to take each table and put it into a flower at a week apart or are you going to do it all at once are you going to create a perpetual um harvest where it's like one table is off from the other one a week or two um if if you're trimming things solo that would make sense but i'm uh, i would have to add in a different res uh, um, an auxiliary reservoir to feed the table separately mm -hmm. and that's not undoable but i think as it stands i'll probably start them both at the same time and i'm I'm hoping okay. to end up with a canopy like what you got sitting behind you there. That looks qu like quite the forest. <laughs> yeah, my little forest of flowers here. <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, no, I I definitely see it. And like you're basically going to take your tables and each room's going to have the same type of system on it. And you're just going to be shifting plants in between that door. Is that is that the game plan here? Yeah. So the the veg room is going to be uh, <laughs> running at about half the size. So I'm going to do one four by eight table and two lights uh, i could okay. possibly hang up a smaller light with some individual buckets on the side but that's where i'm going to okay. have most of my equipment and i can always uh shut it down as a drying room if i need but having that door uh, to get through yes. to bring those plants so i don't have to cart them around through the backyard and potentially expose them you know have bugs fly on them or dust or maybe have yep. the dogs bite them in half so <laughs> do, do your uh, do your animals like uh, the leaves of the plants? Because boy, I've seen so many posts about dogs getting uh, a hold of some plants. Oh well, I mean, my my dogs have these crazy tails. They're like weed whackers. They'll they'll slap a pint glass off the table and shatter it before it hits the wall. So they're like little weed whackers. I do not let them back in the greenhouse. Uh, the little that's amazing. The little puppy that I have, he um, he likes to get up there and try to chew the leaves, but. Um, I have the uh, my cat loves this I have one of these plants in here let me show you let's see um, where is that oh it's right behind me this oh there little, it is yep this little uh, plant there so the cat gets in here and she's just I mean it's like catnip she's just up here chewing off all the leaves and messing with it um, so yeah they I, I have to do a lot to protect things I care about for my animals because they're just <laughs> forces of destruction. <laughs> so listen to that, listeners, and those watching. If uh, if you've ever had a plant destroy your garden, trust, trust, you're not alone. We've had uh, many circumstances. My, uh, my dog definitely likes to occasionally sniff plants and she'll bite them straight off my plant sometimes. Very, very rarely, but she'll, she always goes for the big full ones that, you yeah. know, are preying upwards. She doesn't go for the ones underneath. She goes for the big ones. So <laughs> that's always too funny, but that's awesome. So you're going to basically be vegging them to where they're kind of, these are 
little bigger. I think one behind me is this one's about three foot. So probably about this. And then you're going to be taking and are you just going to keep three nodes? Are you going to do four nodes? How much are you going to lollipop off your girls? Um, I'm going to have to wait and see my my scrog netting levels. But I'd like to what I'd normally like to do is uh, have some wall mount fans and uh, kind of take all the leaves off up to the bottom level of scrog net. Mm -hmm. So I have a nice clean run across there and I can get air moving underneath the plants. And, you know, it's everybody's going to be different, whether you are, you know, only want to buy a few seeds or you're restricted by plant numbers in your area. So that's why people would spend more time vegging out fewer plants. And the goal is to just utilize the, the light that you have kind of spread that canopy yep. and I like some of those uh, very involved training techniques the only thing is yeah. it takes uh, you can add weeks onto your veg cycle so there, yeah. there are some really cool techniques that you can do and if you're limited if you just want to grow one plant or just a couple plants mm -hmm. it's worth it because you can really maximize what you're going to get from that plant but when you look yep. at um, you know, whether you're cloning or you have uh, seeds at your disposal or, you know, um, you, you have a bunch of things that you want to try. It makes more sense to kind of cut down your veg time, uh, not mm -hmm. not um, trim and train quite as aggressively. And just once you fill yeah. that canopy, flip them right into flower because you can. I mean, I've heard some people, they just veg endlessly. You know, they're like vegging for yeah. like three months. So in that three month span, you could have already pulled down and had another set going. So it's, it's yep. you know, and electricity is not free. I mean, there's there's solar <laughs> and things that it, if you're more of a hobbyist yeah. and I don't know, you have a background in bonsaiing trees, it, it's more appealing. Yeah. But if you want to get out bud and get it out quickly, utilizing that time and that space and the electricity, I um, it, it takes a while to dial it in, but yeah, cutting down your veg time, maybe adding in some more plants would be a good, I mean, that's what I'm going to do at least. I love that too, because I agree with it completely. It is, you know, there are those in-depth training techniques and I've absolutely went and done a lot of those to make podcast episodes and videos. And I'll tell you what, they have postponed my grows immensely. And that's the thing. It can be beneficial depending on your area. Like he said, if you have only four plants you're working with and you're only allowed to have like, let's say two or three in veg and two or three in flower, it's great to do a lot of stock training on your singular plants because you're gonna get thicker stocks. It's gonna take a little more veg time, but they're gonna hold a little bit more weight. Now, if you have access to like clones, like he's saying, it is so beneficial to just throw those suckers straight into flower as soon as they're rooted because they're gonna take all plants, no matter what, take the first three weeks of flower to still push out and pump out vegetative hormones. Yeah. And uh, that is why uh, plants stretch. And that's why we were talking about earlier, I was asking him if he was gonna have you know three foot, if that's the mark he's gonna go to, because if he only has seven foot of growth space to work with at the ceiling, his lights may only may be hanging six inches from the top. So now he's only down to six and a half inches of growth space or six and a half feet of growth space. And you know, 
you want another at least 12 to 14 inches generally from your light height to canopy. So you have to make sure that you're within that range of your space so you don't burn the tips of your um, colas, you don't bleach them, you don't um, degrade terpenes from light potency. So all of that comes into play, but that sea of green method he's talking about, you're literally just tossing plants into flower and you're you're not getting these large, insane, bulky harvests, but what you're doing is you're getting small plants that over the entire canopy yield the same as one large plant. And that's the maximization of your light across your, um, uh, what do they call that? Your square grow meter or whatever that yeah. is. Your, yeah, it's like you know. your gram to, uh, um, yeah, yeah, your, your canopy gram ratio. Of, and then the, mm -hmm. the nice thing about that method too is that you can, uh, you can usually get in a couple extra harvests, even though you'll be uh, netting the same at the end. It's how long did it take you to net that? So uh, yep. the sea of green, and I, I'm not gonna go full sea of green. I'm not gonna go like little baby rooted ones. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know get a few weeks of veg in, but it's cool. uh, it's gonna take a while to dial it in. Little trial and error. So hopefully I don't hit the ceilings or hit the lights, but. You know, back with those HIDs, when they hit those lights, I mean, they'll uh, they'll burn those, they'll burn the shit yeah. out of those things, and <laughs> yes, uh, they will. Yeah, you got to be careful because it's especially getting into growing. You would think more light means faster growth, and then when you cut the light down, it's insane how much these things stretch. You you cut the light in half basically, and you they they explode. And usually, I'll, yep. you know, I'll get um, 18 inches to two foot uh, stretching off of those things. And so, it, you know, making sure all of your supporting scrog nets, your bamboo stakes are all set before, yeah. especially if you have a room locked in and you can't get back there. Uh, you're, uh, oh, that's that's you're the SOL. truth. That I did that to myself last year, and that was a ton of fun. I had a plant in the corner that stretched way taller than everyone else, and I spent the whole day undoing my two layers of trellis net with oh. every single plant. I mean, I it's like going and playing Twister in there. I've had to try to get in my yeah. room, getting under the net, and uh, you know, doing the preparation to make sure that. Uh, you're not going to have any problems. It's going to save you a lot of headache because, yeah, it's not fun to get back there because you'll get these plants. It'll always be the biggest nug back there, and the plant <laughs> will just snap, and, uh, oh, it's heartbreaking. You're like, that was the prize cola in the room. Yep. You're like, your butt touches one, and it just snaps it right off. You're like, well, okay, can't get that one back. That oh, one's, yeah. you know, maybe you try to do the, the whole scotch tape around the stem, praying that it'll create a knuckle. <laughs> no, that is, uh, that, that is so true. So definitely amazing episode so far. And I love all the updates. And I think we're probably coming right towards the 45, 50 minute marker. So I'm going to leave off with one last thing. And I'm going to let you tell the entire audience up to this point, what is another piece of advice that you would give them? Something you've learned, something you've uh, picked up, acquired over the last few months, or something you've uh, maybe, you know, thought about or uh, recollected in your own uh, grows. What's a good piece of advice you'd like to leave the viewers with after doing all this updates and building these rooms and everything? You know, it's <clears throat> it's not so easy finding a balance between because uh, you know, I, I would say I have perfectionist qualities. I want everything to be just right. But finding a balance between, uh, there's that saying, a penny wise and dollar foolish. So, you know, you can, you can waste a season trying to get everything perfect. 
you can also shoot yourself in the foot, uh, kind of jumping the gun and having plants that uh, you don't have infrastructure set up. So I think that's a, a struggle that every grower has to deal with is is finding a balance between those two. And it's, it's taking initiative, problem solving, um, doing things right, but also also going for it. I mean, I could I could probably take the rest of the year trying to make sure that the space is perfect, but uh, I got plants vegging and ready to go. So you need to light a fire under your ass. You need to get in there and do it. So um, everybody's got their own journey, and, and I'm certainly not done learning either. And that's what I love this. Uh, I, I, I have lots of grower friends, and I get to learn from them and talk to other growers, and you'll get ideas and, you know, just just being open-minded and hungry for new uh, tidbits of information and new techniques. And uh, I've, I've been doing this for over 10 years and I'm still excited about it. And I, you know, Heck I, yeah, that's amazing. I, I love that. So it sounds like motivation and hard work. That, that sounds like that you just, you just love being motivated. You love working hard. You love putting your, uh, you know, just sweat equity into everything you do. It sounds <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get a lot of this stuff on camera, but it's not so glamorous uh, getting out there in the middle of the day, uh, you know, mud and drywall and uh, mixing concrete and stuff. But we're getting some good videos, so we'll have a complete uh, kind of start to finish of the space. And uh, I haven't done this in years. I'm, I'm not a professional or an expert, but uh, if I can do it, you can do it. And you can turn your yes. shed into a little perpetual cycle, too. So. Absolutely. And I'm excited for these videos to come out. And I'm sure every single listener and those watching are super excited. Uh, your content has been phenomenal lately. And I think this grow series and build series is just going to bring so much uh, attention to what home growers really are capable of, even just with a little bit of knowledge, access to YouTube and some uh, motivation and a fire under your ass. You can absolutely do it. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing everything, Parker. And thanks for joining joining me for a, another awesome uh, episode. I won't, I won't even call this an interview. This was a great conversation and I, I appreciate it. Look forward to more of this, those uh, viewers and listeners watching. Parker and I are going to be uh, doing this a lot more. He's going to become a more frequent visitor of this uh, podcast. Yeah, it's always a pleasure and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Well, for those wondering how you guys can get involved or chat with Parker or I, you guys can go over to www.homegrowncannabisco.community and you can sign up for free. It's our forum. You can tag at chronic, that's K-R-O-N-I-C. And you can ask me any of the questions you have, or maybe if you want to ask Parker a question next time, I'll go ahead and look and uh, I'll blab your question to him and he can answer it. And uh, if you want to follow us on any Facebook or Instagram, check out Homegrown Cannabis Co. on Facebook, like their page, check out at homegrown world on instagram they do daily updates there uh, remember i am chronic from the cannabis chronicles and you can find parker at parker curtis 420 on instagram and we are from homegrown cannabis co and they are who make this show possible so show them some serious love check out their top-notch cannabis seeds at www.homegrowncannabisco.com and uh, without further ado thanks for tuning in guys Follow along whichever platform so you don't miss out on these crazy episodes. Much love, happy growing, and peace.